0: You're listening to Ketchikan Church of the Nazarene. Uh, We'd love to share the gospel with as many people as we can online. Uh, And over the course of the year, it's amazing. We actually have more people watch our services live streamed and the ones that we record and put on our website than actually uh, butts in seats in service on Sunday. So uh, our reach is actually far more in the digital realm than it is in the local realm. I'd love to see more people in the local realm, so fill the seats, right? Every seat's important. Um, But also share because it's doing something for someone and that's exciting. And so um, if you uh, share that on your Facebook feed, uh, that would be helpful. And then uh, if you tune to your Bibles, we're gonna be in Matthew chapter 21 today, Matthew chapter 21. Um, And uh, uh, what we're going to do today is read through the Palm Sunday passage. Um, and I'm going to get there. And here we go. Um, because this is the first of our Easter series. Easter series three weeks long. Palm Sunday, Good Friday, and Easter. Um, and we celebrate Palm Sunday uh, because it's the day that Jesus rode down on a donkey into Jerusalem to begin his holy week, his passion week, the week that he gave everything that he had for the world. Um, and so we started off by understanding the fact that Jesus uh, came to show us his kingdom, um, and uh, he did it in a way that didn't make sense to the rest of the world. I'm going to read um, the, the Bible passage for us, but I'm not going to have it on the screen. So you guys can follow along, but what I would love for you guys to do uh, is to listen to the story. and I'm going to read it from the message version. Um, and I have an image up here for you. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with this visual Bible. It's uh, the, I'm going to butcher the name, Weedman? I don't know. Okay. Um, but a uh, fast fact for you, I went to the, the Bible Museum in DC this year, um, and they have this Bible on display. This is really just food for thought. Um, but uh, the Bible itself stands about this tall. Um, And the reason is um, it's an illustrated Bible. There's no words. This is what you might see. And each page is a square hand-drawn and painted image that tells the story from the beginning of time, uh, you know, Genesis all the way to Revelation. And this, uh, when it lays out, it lays out I forget how long it is. It's like a mile long. I mean, it's in an immense amount uh, that he taped together this visual Bible. It's super cool. But this is the Palm Sunday image. Um, and so I thought you could just absorb the imagery and hear the story as I read it from the message version. Because I think there's just beautiful poetry in it. Um, and so uh, this is Matthew chapter 21. Just let your senses and your imagination go wild here. The royal Welcome. When they neared Jerusalem, having arrived at Bethpage on Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples with these instructions. Go over to the village across from you. You'll find a donkey tethered there and her colt with her. Untie her and bring them to me. And if anybody asks what you're doing, say, the master needs them and then he will send them with you. This is the full story of what was sketched earlier by the prophet. Tell Zion's daughter, look, your king's on his way, poised and ready and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a pack animal. And so the disciples went and did exactly what Jesus told them to do. They led the donkey and the colt out, laid some of their clothes on them, and Jesus mounted it. Nearly all the people in the crowd threw their garments down on the road, giving him a royal welcome Others, not having coats, cut branches from the trees and threw them down as a welcome mat. Crowds went ahead and crowds followed and all of them called out, Hosanna to David's son. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And as he made his entrance into Jerusalem, the whole city was shaken, unnerved. And people were asking, What is going on here? Who is this? And then the parade crowd answered, This is the prophet Jesus, the one from Nazareth in Galilee. Now Jesus went straight to the temple, and he threw out everyone who had set up shop in there, buying and selling. In fact, he kicked over the tables of the loan sharks and knocked over the stalls of the dove merchants, and he quoted this text. My house is dedicated to be a house of prayer, but you have made it a hangout for thieves. Now there is finally room for the blind and the crippled to come in. And so they came in, and they saw Jesus, and he healed them. And when the religious leaders saw the outrageous things that Jesus was doing, and heard all of the children that were running and shouting through the temple, Hosanna to David's son, they were up in arms and they took task to ask him, do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus says, yes, I hear them. And haven't you read in God's word from the mouth of children's and babies, I will furnish a place of praise. Fed up with them, Jesus turned on his heel left the city for Bethany where he spent the night picking up in verse 23 when he came back to the temple he was teaching and the high priests and leaders of the people came up to him and demanded show us your credentials who authorized you to teach here and Jesus responded first let me ask you a question you answer my question then I'll answer yours it's about the baptism of John. Who authorized it? Did heaven authorize that baptism? Or did humans authorize that baptism? Oh, the leaders were on the spot, and they knew it. They pulled back into a huddle, and they whispered to each other, Well, if we say heaven, he will ask us why we don't believe him. But if we say humans, then we're up against our rock and a hard spot with the people, because... They all hold John as prophet. They decided to concede that round to Jesus. We don't know, they answered. And Jesus says, neither then will I answer your question. And this is the story of Palm Sunday. And I love how um, you kind of get more modern language in the message version, right? You kind of get this beautiful picture of... um, maybe less formal language and maybe more how it might have been conversationally spoken um i i love the imagery of jesus coming in and seeing loan sharks because that's what they were but you don't understand that when you read some versions of scripture it says money changers that's loan sharks people were being extorted in the house of god and so jesus is like no loan sharks up in here folks and he just scattered everything everywhere and can you imagine the sound of Jesus upending the loan shark's tables. Coins went flying. Birds went flying. People were screaming. It was not a calm moment in the house of the Lord, right? And then the children, right? The children were running amok everywhere, singing praises to God. And it was glorious chaos. And Jesus loved every moment of that beautiful chaos, right? So I want us to To really understand that picture that this wasn't worship but this was beautiful chaos worship right okay and i think bob read the passage earlier that if the people didn't worship then the rocks would cry out right because god will be worshiped right and so uh we should be the ones worshiping him let's not let the rocks do that let's let us do that and so uh we're going to look at what this means for us today uh and the idea is that on palm sunday jesus came to show us His kingdom and he came as king so he came to show us what his kingdom will look like when the king comes somewhere he brings all of the authority of his kingdom with him so he brings his entourage and he brings his power and he brings his ruling and he brings his justice and so when he entered Jerusalem what he was doing was saying I am now going to take my authority is king, and I'm going to come to Jerusalem, and I'm going to give you a picture. I'm going to paint a beautiful picture for you of what my kingdom is going to look like. Something that is going to give you something to hold on to when things get rough in the next couple days, weeks, months, years, 100 years. You're going to have an idea of what my kingdom looks like so that you know there is something glorious coming. And we're going to unpack that. This morning. The first thing that we need to know about uh, Jesus, I'm just going to use this, uh, is that in God's kingdom, in Jesus' kingdom, Scripture is fulfilled. Um, In Jesus' kingdom, Scripture is fulfilled. Uh, We we read it in the passage today that um, He wanted a donkey, and so it was basically like, I'm going to take your donkey. Um, and he took the donkey and he said, this is because it was written in the prophet. The king will come on a donkey, right? Um, now, if you uh, read in the actual prophet, Zechariah, it says, shout and cheer, daughter of Zion. Raise the roof, daughter of Jerusalem. Your king is coming. He's a good king who makes all things right. A humble king who rides on a donkey. Just the colt, the foal, the baby. He's riding on a baby donkey, Okay. The king is going to come, Zechariah says, riding on a tiny beast of burden. Not this glorious white steed with shiny metal armor. No, like pomp and circumstance, a baby donkey. Okay? This is not exactly what they were picturing. Uh, they were picturing a glorious king who would rescue them from Roman authority. And Jesus says, I have a slightly different idea. Uh, I'm going to rescue from the authority of sin. uh, So I'm going to come humbly on a baby donkey. And what's interesting is um, this prophecy in Zechariah was written roughly 500 years before Jesus sat on that donkey. 500 years elapsed. And then it happened exactly how God said it would happen. Because God is who he says he is, and he does what he says he will do, and his kingdom is trustworthy. If he says he will do it, he will do it. It might take 500 years. It might take 2,000 years. It might take two seconds. We're not in charge of the timing, but what we are aware of is that Scripture will be fulfilled in God's kingdom. Which means we can look back and go, man, the Old Testament is chock full of stuff about Jesus. I mean, you, I don't know how you feel about the Old Testament confession. I like the Old Testament more than the New Testament. If I can, can I say that? That sounds weird. Um, I love, I love everything about the New Testament. I'm not downplaying the New Testament at all. But the Old Testament is like, it um, highlights magazine. Do you guys reference what I'm saying when I say highlights magazine? It's like a kid's magazine, and there's all kinds of puzzles in there, and there's Goofus and Gallant um, comics and whatnot. But there was this thing in the back where you had the picture, and then the items up at the top, and you had to find those hidden items. Like, that's like the Old Testament for me. And 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 the key is just Jesus. Like, find Jesus everywhere in the Old Testament. And every page you flip to in the Old Testament is pretty much something that's saying, hey, guess what, guys? Jesus is coming. And it's all over. I mean, you just— it's everywhere in the old testament i love the old testament so much for that because every page i turn to is like this talks about jesus and this talks about jesus and this talks about jesus and um and so if you're ever curious about what that might look like i actually have a list of 365 old testament prophecies and their fulfillment in the new testament Uh, i would love to share that with you it's not the be all end all there are thousands and thousands and i think there's like 7,000 prophecies Uh, about Jesus in the Old Testament and and their fulfillments, It's crazy. Um, uh, But I have a list of 365, one for every day of the year. It's a Bible study, it'd be fantastic. So if you're interested, let me know. Uh, Fill out the contact card, say uh, Jesus Bible study and I'll get it to you. Um, All that to say, the Old Testament is all about pointing us to what God was going to do in Jesus Christ. And some of those things have been fulfilled. We can look at what was said in the Old Testament, look at what was said in the New Testament and go, A plus B equals Jesus did it, okay? But there are some things in the New Testament, right, that we can't look back with hindsight yet, right? We're still looking forward. And so we we have this immense amount of trust that Scripture will be fulfilled. He's already said he would do a lot of things, and he's already done those things. And so when he continues to say things like, I will make you holy, I will continually love you. I will forgive your sin. There is a place for you in heaven. Right? Scripture will be fulfilled. Right? So those are promises we can hold on to. The kingdom that Jesus came to tell us about is a kingdom that says scripture will be fulfilled. If it's, if it's in here, then this will happen. Right. And we can lay hold of this promise and rest and walk in this. This is exciting for us today. Okay? That scripture will be fulfilled. Now... The second thing about um, God's kingdom that he came to show us is prayer. Jesus came to teach us about prayer on Palm Sunday. Um, We read um, in uh, in Matthew chapter 21. I'm going to flip there here now. Matthew chapter 21, verse 13, if you're following along. Verse 13, and it says this. It is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Jesus speaking, and if he's speaking, he's, well, he's Jesus, and so what he says goes. And and if he says, my house will be a house of prayer, what does he want for his kingdom? Prayer. He wants his people to be a praying people, and what I love about this is that Jesus kicked out some people of the temple in this moment, like the loan sharks and the bird sellers and all that, and he made room for other people, right? Um, So when when we read what Jesus says, it is written, he's referencing Scripture again, right? So Scripture will be fulfilled, right? Um, And so when we flip backwards in Scripture, in Isaiah 56, verse 7, it says this, I will bring them to my holy mountain, and I will give them joy in my house of prayer. And they'll be welcome to worship the same as the insiders to bring burnt offerings and sacrifices to my altar. Oh yes. My house of worship will be known as a house of prayer for all people. Jesus is all about the all. The all people. All people are welcome. All people can come and pray. All people can come and worship. There is no like You, but not you, in God's kingdom. In fact, all of God's kingdom and all of the scripture that is to be fulfilled is about uniting everybody under one banner, taking a fractured humanity and bringing it together again under one king who happened to ride on a baby donkey, right? And so Jesus says, my house is a house of prayer, and everyone can come pray. Everyone can come talk to me. Everyone can have a relationship with me. That's what he's saying. No one is excluded from relationship with me. Everyone can talk to me. You don't have to be a holy religious person that wears fancy robes and gets up at the crack of dawn and reads the Bible 23 and a half hours a day. No, you can be a regular human being who struggles to pay the bills and manage children and get to work on time and deals with mental illness or broken relationships or all kinds of stuff. You can be a normal human being and have a relationship with the God who loves you. He wants to talk to you. And so he cleared out the temple of all the people who weren't praying. And he said, now there is room for all people to come pray. All people. To come have relationship with me jesus entered into jerusalem to say not only will scripture be fulfilled in my kingdom but my kingdom is a place for all people everyone can participate in my kingdom and i love that because we live in a culture that says people should fit in boxes and boundaries and that you belong to this subculture and this subculture doesn't really hang out with this subculture and I don't even know how to talk to you because you look so different than me. And these are things that happen. But in God's economy, in God's kingdom, that doesn't exist. Scripture says there's not Jew or Greek, nor free man, nor slave, nor poor, nor rich, nor, uh, you know. There's just no labels. There's just people. And God wants a relationship with everybody. That's really important about God's kingdom. Uh, If you continue on to verse 14. I love this part. I love the way it's phrased in the message. Um, because he had cleared out, right? Overturned the lone sharks, cleared out the people who sold pigeons. And then he says, um, and in the message it says, And finally then, there was space for the blind and the lame to be in the temple. And he healed them. The kingdom of God, one of the great qualities of that, is healing that is an amazing thing that we can only find in the kingdom of God. And I love this idea that Jesus had to clear out all of the other people to make room for the broken. And the brokenhearted. And the blind and the lame and the deaf and the mute. And Jesus did all kinds of crazy, as the message says, outrageous things in the Bible. Do you know that he actually... You know that story where there's the blind guy and Jesus spits in the mud and then smacks that spit mud in the guy's face. Uh, it's the best blind joke in the whole world because he never saw it coming. Um, uh, right? Um, I, my wife's blind, so we make that joke, it's okay. Um, but uh, but it, it's true, he, he spits in the earth, but do you want to know what's really cool about that? That dude was born without eyes. That's what we understand from history. Um, from uh, extra-biblical sources and from the original language, it's not just that the guy had eyes but couldn't see. The guy didn't have eyes. And so Jesus did a garden Genesis chapter 1 kind of thing where he spits into the earth and makes mud, reaches down into the dirt and forms eyeballs, puts them in the guy's face, and then says now tell me what you see and the guy's like i have eyeballs i can see he didn't have them then he had them and that's outrageously awesome and the kingdom of god is defined by miraculous healings like that but again scripture is fulfilled right this is like a key quality so in psalm 147 verses two and three god is the one who rebuilds jerusalem who regathers Israel's scattered exiles. Remember, he's bringing all people together. And he heals the heartbroken, the wounds on the inside, right? And bandages their wounds, the stuff on the outside. God is not just about physical healing, though that's one of the things that he can and does do. He's about the healing on the inside. That's the most important healing, right? The healing that happens in here, because what is inside a lot of time determines what we do and how we live. And who we hang out with and our view of ourselves and our view of others and whether we walk like this or we walk like this, right? So when God heals the inside, suddenly we see ourselves as welcomed and loved and whole and we have confidence not because of who we are but because of what God has done in us and through us. And this healing as part of the kingdom of God is one of the most amazing things that he clears out the temple so that all of the broken people can come in. And in that day and age, um, the blind, the beggars, the, uh, the homeless, the, the, all the people that weren't perfect, right? Normal, God-fearing, looks-like-they-got-everything-together people, uh, the broken people weren't allowed in church. If, if you were a blind beggar, you didn't come into church. You stayed outside church. It wasn't a place for you in church. If you were lame, you know, people would put you near the front of the church. You could beg for alms. You couldn't go in church. And Jesus says, what? This is backwards. I have come to heal people. So let me get rid of all the people who are doing wrong and sinning um, in this place. I'm going to just, they don't care about me or my kingdom. Let's move them out and make room for the people who desperately want healing. Who desperately need healing now some of those people could walk and could see and could hear but they needed it some of those people couldn't walk and they were brought in and scripture tells us jesus healed them maybe y'all need a healing this morning it might be physical it might be emotional it might be um i don't know who knows what there's a lot of stuff in this world that we carry bandages and wounds and baggage and all that kind of stuff God's kingdom, Jesus came to heal and make us whole again. And he promises he can do that. Now, again, could be 500 years, could be 2,000 years, could be two seconds, right? We don't get to determine when, but we can trust that when God says, I will heal you, God will heal us. And part of the life that we live walking with Jesus is becoming closer and closer to him as we um, spend time with him in his kingdom and as we talk to him through prayer and as we read his word and then and part of that heals us just by hanging out with him learning about his character and how good he is and how much he loves us part of that also aligns us with his will that sometimes healing happens after we've taken our last breath here and our first breath in heaven And then we get this glorified body, and I don't know what that's going to look like, but mine's going to be a few inches taller with a lot more muscle, okay? Thanks for the laughter, right? That's true, though. We can all hope and dream. I don't know what he's got in store, but I put my request in every time. More More hair? hair. Thanks, Bob. (laughs) Um, so, So we have hopes and dreams, but we don't get to determine that. What we do get to know is that Jesus said he would do it. I will bring you to me one day and you will experience no more pain and no more suffering and no more sorrow and no tears. So I hold on to that, that in Jesus's completed kingdom, I will be healed. Amen. Amen. Right. Um, And so that's exciting. Now we take all of the excitement of scripture being fulfilled and walking and talking with God and having relationship with him and being healed. And then, and then this aspect, it all kind of bubbles and boils into this idea that there should be a full amount of worship in the kingdom of God. An absolute ruckus for Jesus in the most undignified way possible. And, and I'll quote King David when he stripped naked and ran through the streets and said, I will be even more undignified than this right now. If I can praise Lord, David, right now I don't I don't say follow in David's example exactly, okay, um, but I do say that there are ways that we hold ourselves back in worship, rather than just complete abandon to worship. In America, we're used to worshiping like this, sometimes maybe like this, and there's jokes about I'm carrying a heavy TV or touchdown or you know these are the worship positions that we hear Christian comics make fun of, right? Um, but. But it's true because we're scared to just relax and be free in front of God. We're not trying to impress anybody, are we? We're trying to worship Jesus, and part of the kingdom of God is to worship him in fullness. In verses 15 and 16, it says this, the chief priests and the scribes, Um, saw the wonderful things that he was doing and then saw the children who were running around and, and crying, Hosanna to the son of David. And those people were indignant and said, do you hear what they are saying? And Jesus says, yes, haven't you heard that the children will praise me and I like it? Right? And so I picture in the temple, now there's coins everywhere and bird feathers everywhere and the dust is settling, right? And you've got just... A wild mass of children running through the temple, uh, picking up coins, probably. Who wouldn't, right? Um, And some of them maybe have caught a chicken or a dove, right? Um, and, And you can smell the dust in the air. And some of them have grabbed the palm branches. And some of them want to pet the donkey that Jesus is on. You have this mental picture of children being children. And yet all through that, Jesus says, what they are doing, what they are saying is worshiping me they are free to be who they are in my presence they got sticky fingers some of them are probably picking their nose they're running to jesus saying hosanna in the highest and jesus says this is what the church should look like this is what worship looks like when you give yourselves fully over to it and you you stuffy adults have forgotten that the kingdom of heaven belongs to these kids And so we should be worshiping like them. Um, In in Psalm 8, chapter 2, or verse 2, it says this, nursing infants gurgle choruses about you, God, and toddlers shout the songs that drown out the enemy talk and silence ignorant babble. I love that language. We know in Scripture that there have been moments when even in the mother's stomach, Babies have worshipped Jesus. John the Baptist leapt for joy when Mary showed up. And both of them were still in utero. And there was a little worship service going on in the stomachs here, okay? Um, Because we should worship Jesus. And sometimes the little children lead us in that way. And, and, And I love that. And so I want to challenge us, God wants to challenge us, to worship more freely to have a little less adult and a little more kid in our worship, if that makes sense, right? <laughs> to think less about what are other people gonna think? And should I have to go here or how do I, what am I doing? Don't think about it, just, just worship. And if you worship calmly, but it's full in your heart, great. And if you worship best on your knees, do it. And if you worship best, dancing do it right because we are to fully worship god in his kingdom right now the very last thing uh, that jesus came to teach us about his kingdom on palm sunday uh, is in verses 20 uh, chapter 21 verses 23 through 27 and this is when the the leaders challenged jesus they went up to him and they poked their finger in his chest and they said who gave you the authority to teach today in church? Why did you upend everything the other day? Well, who are you? Where's your credentials? Show me your license to be here is what they're saying. Prove you are who you say you are. And so he poses this very interesting question about God's authority. Because Jesus is smart, smarter than anybody else. And he says, I'm going to ask you a question about John the Baptist and his baptism. Did God ordain it or did mankind ordain it? And the religious leaders were very concerned at this point because they realized it's a trick question. If they admit that God ordained John the Baptist and his baptism, then they have to acknowledge that God has ordained Jesus because through the baptism that john the baptist did on jesus the holy spirit descended on him the voice came out it was a miraculous kind of thing and clearly god said this is my son you should listen to him so they can't say well clearly god ordained it because they don't want to admit jesus has the authority on the other hand they can't say well humans ordained it because the entire crowd that has seen eyeballs be formed out of dust, and limbs made to walk, and um, all kinds of outrageous miracles. The whole crowd would say, but John is the prophet, and Jesus is the guy, and, and they would have a mutiny on their hands. And the religious leaders were, if nothing, about order, calm, this is how we do things. We don't break from the structure. Children don't talk in church. and We keep the beggars outside, and this is how we do things. And so they couldn't, they couldn't cause chaos. But they couldn't admit that God actually had authority in their lives. And so they said, Eh, we're just not going to answer this one. And Jesus says, And I'm not going to tell you where my authority comes from. And it was the subtext of the conversation. We don't want to admit that you're God. Well, guess I don't have to admit it to you because you've already admitted it to yourselves. If you can't say it out loud, we'll just let what has happened stand for itself god's authority is unparalleled unrivaled yes he came on a baby donkey yes he would be turned over yes he would die but he did all of that under his own authority he did it willingly freely he chose to do this this was his plan from the beginning of time and we've been reading genesis right we've been going through genesis for a couple of weeks and we have read that from the very beginning of time, from the very first sin, God promised he would fix it. From the very beginning of time, this was the plan. For the kingdom of God to enter Jerusalem. For the king, kingdom of God to be displayed in such a earth-shaking way, right? To upend everything that everyone thought was worship. To upend everything that everyone thought was appropriate in church. And to say, everything you culturally think is okay is actually backwards. Let's let Jesus reorder how we think about him and his authority and his word and worship and prayer and all of that. And let's embrace the king on the donkey rather than our own systems. Palm Sunday changed everything. Yes, because he was going to go to the cross, but also because he changed how we are supposed to worship. He challenged every preconceived notion we had about who belongs and who doesn't. He had just a few short hours in his life before he gave his life up. A few short hours to make the biggest impact statement possible. And so he did it in this way. This is what the kingdom of God will look like, people, is what Jesus says. And when we read that passage and when we celebrate that day like we do today, we are being invited to participate in something that involves complete fulfillment of scripture, communication with God on an unparalleled level that everybody is welcome to participate in, healing for all kinds of things, freely worshiping, and recognizing God's authority. That might be the hardest. We like the healing. We like to be able to talk to God. We like that he is who he says he is and he does what he says he will do. But if he is who he says he is, then he has authority over us. And so we must submit to Christ. So this morning, um, this is the verse we'll close with. Remember your history, your long and rich history. He's speaking to Israel, but think about your own life too. I am God, the only God you ever had or ever will have. I am incomparable and irreplaceable. This is the God we worship. This is the God who came on a donkey, a baby donkey. This is the God who would go willingly to the cross and die in our place for our sins and rise again on the third day. This is Jesus. So this morning, as the worship team comes and leads us, I want to challenge you from Scripture to embrace the kingdom of God that he brought to earth, to, to walk in the ways that he has taught us to walk, to freely worship in a way perhaps he haven't ever, I don't know, to, to forget the people around you and focus on Jesus and Jesus alone, <laughs> to become one of those children that runs to him with sticky popsicle fingers and the sniffles and uh, a, 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 a scraped knee and all of the excitement of what is about to happen because Jesus is here. That is what we are to be. Jesus, children running to the kingdom of God saying, oh, I can be here. You love me. You've promised me good things. I will submit to you. Let's pray. Father, um, we love you. We love you for who you are. We love you for what you've done. We love you for what you continue to do for us. We love you because of all of the ways you've poured out in Scripture, your truth. As we worship you now, would you help us really worship you? For the first time, give us new eyes and a new voice and even a new body to worship you with in this moment. Let's lay aside the things that hinder us, as Scripture says, and run this race in this kingdom for you and for you alone give you the honor and the glory and the praise and as the children's bible says all of the hip hip hoorays because it is you alone you are incomparable and irreplaceable and we love you and worship you this morning in your name we pray amen you've just heard a message from Ketchikan Church of the Nazarene to learn more about our church Or to support our ministries, you can visit KTNNAZ.org.